What is shaking, everybody? Uh, this episode of the Golf Guide podcast is proudly presented by Pacific Coast Golf Guide magazine, the number one printed golf course resource where you can learn information about every single golf course in California, Hawaii, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington. Literally every state that touches the Pacific Ocean in the United States, plus Las Vegas and Reno, are available in this magazine, which is completely free for you and available at a golf course near you. The 2019 edition of Pacific Coast Golf Guide will be available in just a few short weeks. We are putting the uh, the wrapping paper and the bow on the final uh, preparations to get this thing sent to the printer, so I'm very excited to be able to share that with all of you. So please be on the lookout for Pacific Coast Golf Guide at a golf course near you, and you can always learn more information at golfguide.net. And that's it, y'all. So let's do this. Another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast now. All right, all right, all right. Salutations, everybody. I hope all of you are well. Welcome back. Uh, I am Kyle Serlo, and I thank you for listening to this episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. You know, I, I hate to do this, you know, but uh, given what took place this past weekend at Wildlife Country Club and everything else, I'm just going to jump right in to the meat and potatoes of this podcast, uh, which of course is none other than America's favorite Augusta National Amateur from the late 90s, early 2000s, and that, of course, is Matt Kuchar. You know, the Cooch, you know, is uh, a wildly popular man uh, around the golfing world. He has been a fan favorite for years. Uh, by all accounts, he's always just seemed like a really nice, um, you know, a really nice guy that just, you know, for whatever reason has not had the ability um, to close out golf tournaments. I mean, I think, you know, most recently, the one that comes to mind for everybody is the duel that he had with Jordan Spieth at the Open Championship uh, in 2017. Um, but you know what? By, you know, hey, and, and I'm not exempt from this. I, I like Cooch a lot. I love watching him play golf. You know, the fact that he can have a golf swing as smooth and easy as he does and hit the ball as far as he does uh, and allow himself to compete with all the guys that are out there with club head speeds and like the 170s or whatever, you know, it's just absolutely crazy, and it's really, really impressive. And, uh, you know, he he was able to do it again where uh, this past weekend at Wildlife Country Club, he, uh, I, I believe he won, you know, by four strokes uh, to claim his second victory in his last four starts, which is re- pretty remarkable considering that he had a four-year winless drought uh, going up until he won the Mayakoba Classic this past fall. So um, really great for Matt Kuchar. He absolutely dominated um, at the Sony Open this past weekend. I don't know uh, how many of you listening to this got to watch a uh, extended amount of the coverage, but it was pretty much just a clinic uh, going on for Matt Kuchar. I mean, the guy literally went 63, 63, 66, 66. Um, absolutely incredible display of golf by Matt Kuchar. You know, there was a little... Uh, there was a little worry that he may end up blowing it on Sunday. I mean, even though he went into the final round with a comfortable-ish lead, I believe he bogeyed three out of his first five holes or something like that and uh, looked a little bit shaky, but that was 
um, absolutely the outlier uh, of the week because aside from those, you know, that little stretch there, he looked impeccable um, from Thursday until Friday. And uh, it is very, very good to see Cooch back in the winter circle. My uh, my cousin Mark, who has been on this podcast before, is a self-described Matt Coocher fanboy, and he was absolutely elated uh, to see Cooch get back into the winter circle. So, hearty congratulations to him and his family. I I will say this: one thing that I found to be a little awkward, and you, you might have to go watch this on YouTube. But uh, as soon as Matt Coocher won on Sunday, you know his celebration was uh, tempered. You know, he, he didn't seem like he went too crazy. He just simply made his putt, threw his hands into the air, but not, you know, aggressively like he's just super pumped up. It almost it almost looked like it was more of a relief that he was able to win this thing and, and then finish it out more so than just genuine exuberance and excitement that he had just uh, he had clinched this thing. And then he did this weird thing where his, his two sons and his wife came out onto the putting green and his children aren't, like, small. <laughs> They're... <clears throat> Excuse me. I I think you know if I had to ballpark it, his his boys, like his the two boys that came out on the putting green, are probably like seven and ten or something like that. And he just you know went to like pick them up like they were like four and five year olds. And it was a little weird because he picked one of them up, and it's obvious that like they're not small kids anymore. So like even you know even if you're in pretty good shape, you'd, you'd start him like oh, oh Jesus Christ, it's just like you know the hundred pounds of the kid right here. Like I got a one arm, and then and then he goes to like pick up his other son with his other arm he gets them both airborne but then he does this really weird thing where he's like trying to give his kids a kiss and then like ends up like smashing his two kids together and it looked like he was trying to force his kids to like make out with each other and it was just it was super super awkward and and again it has it, nothing to do with <laughs> the son's making it's just it felt like he was so confused as to what to do in that situation that the only thing that his brain allowed him to do was just force his two sons to get into you know close to one another and l- let's be honest what probably was the case is that he was like holy shit these guys are heavy if i just move them closer together and i can share the weight between the two of them and my two arms maybe it'll make it a little easier but at, from a viewer standpoint it looked wildly awkward <laughs> So anyway, but th- th- that's not to say that his performance at the Sony Open wasn't anything but triumphant and spectacular. Really, really great four days of golf for Matt Kuchar. However, and this is where we get in um, yet to, I guess, I don't know if this would be the more pressing because obviously a guy wins on tour. You know, that's got to be, you know, you know, one of the top stories. But I think throughout the golfing world, there may have been more people paying attention to the other Matt Kuchar storyline uh, circulating this weekend then his win at the Sony Open. And that is, uh, of course, the news that was first broken by the guys at No Laying Up, I believe, on Twitter on Saturday. And that was, um, it, it really threw a wet blanket on otherwise what seemed a really cool story. And that was when Matt Kuchar won that tournament last fall, the Mayakoba Classic, his first win in however many years. Um, you know, he decided to hire a local caddy um, to carry his bag throughout the tournament. His normal looper was not available. And so he hired a gentleman that goes by the name of El Tucan. Um, and with with a local caddy on his bag, he goes and he wins his first tournament in over four years, and he cashes a paycheck of $1.3 million, right? He wins $1.3 million, which means Matt Kuchar is having a great payday, and this caddy... Um, who otherwise may have just been carrying bags for, you know, 200 bucks a day. Uh, he's going to make out really good as well. And, you know, obviously he may not get like the full 10% like a normal tour caddy would, 
Um, but he certainly is going to make out pretty pretty darn good. And uh, the news started circulating on Saturday, again, from the guys at No Laying Up, that Matt Kuchar had paid El Toucan a total of $3,000 <laughs> for carrying his bag for the weekend at the Mayakoba Classic, which, again, if, if we're doing some pretty basic math here, at $1.3 million, the standard caddy uh, would then be making $130,000 for that weekend Um and El Toucan was allegedly paid $3,000, which, again, I'm not really much of a math whiz, but that is 2% of the 10% <laughs> that a normal caddy would get. Um, and that really rubbed a lot of people um, the wrong way. I mean, I mean, and, and myself included. I mean, certainly I, I tried to be objective. I tried to um, maintain the fact that, you know, it has not been confirmed. I mean, we don't know whether or not he for sure only paid his caddy $3,000. You know, there, there's one way to look at it where, you know, again, this guy, if he had not been carrying a bag for Matt Kuchar, um, he probably would have been out carrying bags somewhere else uh, and making 200 bucks a day. And so for four days of work, probably would have made 800 bucks. So, hey, 3000 is more than 800 So, hey, you know, El Toucan, by carrying Matt Kuchar's bag, you know, more than tripled the pay um that he would have made otherwise. However, in, I don't know, in American society especially, we have this kind of perception, and this especially has been perpetrated by everybody that continues to tell you that trickle-down economics works, which, newsflash for you, it doesn't. Um, and that is that, you know, we rely on the wealthy to then redistribute their wealth and help out those that are more in need because they obviously have the resources where they can afford to help other people out and still maintain a really wonderful lifestyle that probably wouldn't be affected if they had ten or twenty thousand less dollars, right? And so the fact that this guy who lives in Mexico, who is making you know probably somewhere in the twenty-five to forty thousand dollar a year um, range, uh, and in and in Mexico that's really not a terrible living, um, but certainly you know in in this uh, in El Tucan's case, you know, ten thousand dollars would be almost a life-changing sum of money, um, and for Matt Kuchar to win one point three million dollars and then tip his caddy out three grand, it just does not sit well. And especially, I think what was really disconcerting for so many people is that a guy that is seemingly so likable uh, is so beloved by fans and the media. Um, he just has this great personality, this really positive public image. And then to for it to come out that this guy, you know, is maybe a distant second cousin of Scotty No Tip and Pippin, you know, the guy's just essentially got alligator arms. Um, it really kind of rocks a lot of people's perception of what they think about Matt Kuchar because they associate somebody who is cheap and doesn't tip with being selfish, um, not appreciative of others' work. And that that does that did not jive with the image that a lot of people had of Matt Kuchar. So it kind of really, uh, again, it was really unsettling for a lot of people. I know that uh, a gentleman, Jesus, I'm really sorry uh, to whoever uh, had the story. I think it might have been Brian Wacker um, from Golf Digest Golf World. He finally had an opportunity to ask Matt Kuchar about this uh, during the weekend at the Sony Open. And Matt Kuchar's response was, that's not a story. Um I didn't pay El Tucan $3,000, but I also didn't pay him 10%. You know, we had an agreement beforehand. Um, 
And, you know, I honestly, I don't even know what to make of that quote. It, uh, it, it makes me wonder if maybe perhaps before the tournament even started that maybe Matt Kuchar was just like, hey, listen, man, like, you come on the bag regardless of what I do. Um, I'll pay you three grand to carry my bag for the next four days. Does this seem like a deal? Um, and, you know, from El Toucan's perspective, I mean, hey, if the guy ends up, you know, get, if he finishes dead last and misses the cut, then, you know, three grand, it's, it's kind of a safe way to guarantee that you're going to make a, at least a decent sum of money. Um, you know, from Matt Kuchar's standpoint, it's like, hey, man, you know, it's like, it's about the minimum I would expect to pay for a caddy for a weekend anyway. Um, let's just get it there. If I win, then great. You know, I, I get to keep more of my winnings. I mean, if that is the agreement in place, then there's really not much of a story here, um, except for the fact that you would like to think that if a guy like El Toucan helped Matt Kuchar break out of a four-year drought and win a tournament that ended up paying him more than a million dollars in winnings, that just the good-natured you know, person, uh, or just somebody who... I know has a lot of the attributes that we like to think of ourselves as having of uh, being generous uh, and looking out for one another that even though they had an arrangement where he'd pay him $3,000 if he ended up winning a 1.3 million dollar first place prize that he would probably kick him a little bit extra being like hey man great work this week and I'm so happy that we got together and with that not being the case um, again it just it, it's a it's a massive bummer um, I don't like hearing about people who work really hard um, that aren't taken care of. I mean, shit, man. Again, I was saying ten percent is what a normal caddy makes. Now, I a lot of people hate Brandel Chambly, and I am not in that camp. I the last couple of years, I actually find myself warming up to him more and more and more, and actually really enjoy listening to him because while he his points of view are very different from my own, you can't deny the fact that he is well researched and he everything he says he does mean. And I, I do really respect that about Brandel Chambly. And he made a very good point that, you know, El Toucan probably never should have ever been, you know, expecting 10%. And and I and I agree with that because part of the reason that caddies get paid as much as they do is because, one, they're traveling. It's a massive, you know, inconvenience. They're taking them away from their friends and their family, kind of just following this tour pro around, helping them out. They're also out there doing all the practice rounds and, you know, back in their hotel rooms doing kind of, um, preparation, you know, almost reconnaissance work, if you will, and all the golf courses, mapping things out, helping players come up with strategies. Um, and so there's a whole lot more that goes into caddying for a professional than just picking up the bag on the first tee, you know, and guiding them through 18 holes. I mean, it is a, it is a wildly labor-intensive job that takes a lot of skill and a lot of time. And, you know, the way to properly compensate somebody for all that is by paying them 10% of the winnings. And, El Toucan was not doing really any of that stuff. I mean, he was very much like, you know, met him the day before or whatever, went out and carried his bag for four days, and it just happened to come home with a win. Um, and so I certainly would not have blamed, you know, Matt Kuchar at all for not paying him 10%. I, I don't blame at all for not paying him 10%. Um, I just think that if the alleged sum of $3,000 is the case, it does feel a little bit like Matt Kuchar is taking advantage of El Toucan. Um via some sort of agreement that they had. Now, at what point, you know, what sum of money would Matt Kuchar have had to pay El Toucan for people to not be upset? I don't know the answer to that question. I know that if 10% is 130000 you know, I mean, shit, dude, you could have paid the guy $50,000, right? So that is certainly less than 50%. It's more like, uh, you know, or less than 10%. It's less than 5%. You know, it's what, 3 or 4% of his winnings? 
you know, I, I don't think it would have affected Matt Kuchar's life all that much for him to pay his caddy for a winning golf tournament 3 or 4%, um, which, again, may seem offensive, but in the grand scheme of things, $50,000 would have completely changed this man's life um, and his family's life, and it, ju- it just would have been so cool, and it would have been a gesture that I'm, I'm sure some people, if they found out that Matt Kuchar tipped him 5% instead of 10 they still would have bitched and complained, but... I don't know, the, the most of us out there that kind of have a little bit more of a worldview and kind of just try to take things in perspective, I don't think many people would have had much of an issue if he had tipped him $50,000. I, I really I really don't. It's that $3,000 seems like such a small sum of money when you're talking about $1.3 million for uh, for a week's work that it's just really disappointed. So that all being said, I don't know how this is going to affect Matt Kuchar going forward. Obviously, you know... <laughs> The news broke on Saturday. I'm sure he heard something about it, and maybe that is part of the reason why he came out of the gate on Sunday morning, bogeying three out of those first five holes uh, before he was able to correct himself. I don't know how this will affect him going forward. You know, I certainly hope with all this public backlash that maybe behind closed doors, Matt Kuchar did take good care of El Tucan, and for that reason, you know, that's why he ended up going to win because he knew that there really wasn't anything to worry about, that all this kind of stuff was overblown. And perhaps he was telling us the truth when he said this is a non-story. But until we can get confirmation as to, you know, what happened between Cooch and his caddy down at the Mayakoba, there is just going to be that natural, wild speculation that Twitter promotes where people are just going to be talking just boatloads of shit about Matt Kuchar. Um, calling him cheap and everything else like that. And so until he does something to prove that he is not that way, you know, the lovable uh, the lovable guy from the South, is uh, he's going to have a little bit of a reputation as a major league cheapskate. And so with all that uh, Matt Kuchar uh, talk in the rearview mirror, let's just go to the couple other uh, little news items that uh, I wanted to share with you in this podcast before I bid you adieu. Um, just keep in mind also that... Uh, even though this week's episode of the podcast is going to be relatively brief in terms of time, I do have a sit-down scheduled on Thursday evening. Uh, we are, I'm recording this on Tuesday, January the 15th, 2019. So in two short days, I'm going to be sitting down with a special guest where I believe we are going to be uh, putting in a few hours um, doing a comprehensive preview of the 2019 PGA Tour season, uh, which may be released in two uh, parts, um, but it is going to be really awesome. So I, I will try to have that to you as soon as we have it recorded. I don't know if I will wait until Monday uh, to release the first part of that, um, but I know the first, you know, next week especially, we'll basically be doing a, a pretty uh, a pretty stellar uh, preview of the West Coast Swing, um, which of course does begin this upcoming weekend with the Desert Classic, which is always contested down at the stadium course at PGA West. However, even though it is the start of the West Coast Swing, it is certainly the AAA of the West Coast Swing tournaments. Very, very rarely does it ever feature anything close to resembling a full field. Uh, I know in years past, you know, Phil Mickelson has participated here and there, but you know, especially this uh, this year with you know Career Builder stepping down as a sponsor. I mean, this thing is literally just called the Desert Classic. Um, which is great. I think Career Builder may actually still be on the line to <laughs> provide the money for the purse for this weekend's tournament. Um, that I don't know that for a fact. I know when I had last read about um, the status of the sponsor stuff a few months back, that was supposedly the case. I have not seen any follow-up to that, so I can't uh, be sure if that is the case or not. But 
Um, with all that being said, this weekend is going to be, uh, ha- you know, we are going to have a PGA tournament in Southern California in Riverside County um, at PGA West, which uh, is always a, a pretty good time. But let's be honest, the real West Coast swing is the uh, the meat and potatoes that are the four weeks after that where you got tournaments um, at Torrey Pines, TPC Scottsdale, Pebble Beach, and Riviera. I mean, that that is the real, that is the steak right there, all right? That is the steak with the sauce. And uh, I think in this uh, podcast I'll be recording on Thursday night, both me and my guest will be uh, diving into those four West Coast Swing tournaments in depth and then also previewing the rest of the 2019 uh, PGA Tour season. So I hope you guys stick around and uh, tune in when I release that uh, here in the next week or so. But for now, just a couple last little items uh, that I wanted to go over with you is that uh, this is wildly insignificant, but I thought it was also perplexingly interesting. Does that make any sense? And that is uh, Nike is set to release its Air Max 1 Golfs, which, I shit you not, is a Air Max with golf spikes on the bottom, soft spikes, I believe, but it is all AstroTurf. Like, it is all artificial grass, um, the shoe is, other than, like, the sole and everything. Like, quite literally, where you would expect to see different colors and stuff like that, it is green AstroTurf grass coming off this shoe. And I'm not sure I know a single person who are going to purchase these. I, I really, I really don't. I, I feel like... The humans that I consciously or subconsciously have surrounded myself with, I feel like very few of them are the demographic of person that is going to um, purchase one of these. And I hope that I'm wrong because I really would like to see a pair in person. I, I just don't think I'd ever want to spend my money on them. Um, but it is interesting. It It's more interesting to see if it is going to start any kind of a fashion trend in golf. Uh, and if you start seeing, you know, grown men with AstroTurf shoes walking around playing golf. So that is something to uh, look forward to, but also not really care much about. So uh, that that is great. And then if we're sticking around with the uh, the West Coast Swing uh, golf tournaments, uh, last bit of news that I had that I thought was really exciting is uh, there have been two commitments um, to the tournament that is going to be contested at Pebble Beach, known formerly as the Crosby Clambake, uh, that is now the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And that is uh, none other than Korean sensation Choi Ho-sung. Um, also, I mean, a lot of people are, you know, Ho-sung Choi. Uh, you know, as somebody who, ha- for better or for worse, has spent several years in South Korea, um, in Korea you always say the family name, the surname first, uh, and then you say the person's first name, uh, you know, after that. So over there I would be Sir Lo Kyle, right? Uh Choi is his surname, so if you're in Korea, everybody is referring to him as Choi Ho-sung, but if he's going to be playing out and, you know, playing and hanging out in America, God damn it, he's Ho-sung Choi. Just the same way that Chan-ho Park is actually Park Chan-ho, you know? Um, or Ryo Hyun-jin. Well, over in America, they call him Hyun-jin Ryo. Anyway, he is a... <laughs> the internet has dubbed this guy perhaps the most exciting and fun golf swing to watch and I cannot disagree with any of them if you guys are familiar with him at all on social media um, he is a South Korean golfer I believe currently ranked 200 in the world um, that was playing on the Korean tour currently plays most of his golf on the Japan professional tour uh, but he has received a sponsor's exemption to the tournament at Pebble Beach um, and 
Northern California golf fans have got to be stoked. I, I know I certainly am to be able to watch this guy play. It is going to be wildly a wildly good time just to kind of watch him uh, just not be the same as every other guy. I mean, in the in the world of TrackMan, you know, we've talked about it at length several times before, that more and more golf swings are looking more and more similar, and it's getting tougher to differentiate uh, one guy's game versus another's because they're all so similar. And in that kind of a time to have a guy like Choi Ho-sung come over and just break the mold and just be, you know, eccentric and uh, have a highly individualized golf swing is super exciting and is going to be really fun to watch. And then the other little bit of news um, in terms of commitments to the AT&T Pro-Am is none other than uh, El Camarón, uh, which if you guys have not read uh, Alan Shipnuck's piece on Golf.com about... Um, Jose de Jesus Rodriguez, uh, also known as El Camarón or The Shrimp. Um, it is a profile piece on this gentleman uh, who is from a small poor town in Mexico and just all the obstacles that he came, you know, overcame to get to where he is now, which is playing professionally. Um, he's been on the web.com tour for the last couple of years and has earned a few exemptions uh, onto the PGA Tour, which included last weekend at the Sony Open at Wildlife Country Club. He is also going to be playing at uh, at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And I am so excited to watch him after reading Alan Shipnuck's piece, you know, as if I don't uh, just verbally blow Alan enough on this podcast. I mean, he really is my favorite golf writer in the world right now. He is absolutely fantastic. And especially concerning his profile pieces, he did a remarkable job uh, with that El Camarón piece. If you have not read it already, I would implore you um, to do that. It is an exceptional read. It's well, well worth 10 to 15 minutes of your time. And, you know, I, I came away from it thinking that I I think I have a new um, favorite guy to root for, you know, in terms of you know guys that are not in the top 10 of the world golf rankings. But uh, in terms of any given week, you know, a, guy, a long shot that I'm pulling forward, you know, to finish in the top 10, El Camarón has instantly uh, become that guy for me after reading Alan Shipnick's piece. So really, really wonderful piece of journalism that Again, I would encourage all of you to go read. I believe it's still on golf.com. You can go find it on Alan Shipnuck's uh, Twitter page, excuse me, as well. I'm sure it wouldn't be hard to find there. Um, but yeah, it's just getting me really excited. The AT&T Pebble Beach Prime is going to be a ton of fun um, to go watch. I know we're going to talk about it much more uh, at length in next week's podcast with my guest. And so I will leave um, that conversation for then. And uh, with that, I will put a bow on this episode of the podcast. Sorry again for having me a little bit brief, but we will have a much girthier uh, episode of the podcast for you each of the next couple of weeks. So please stay tuned for that. Um, Thank you again, everybody, for listening. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, Anything you can leave is much appreciated. Uh, It certainly helps us with... uh, you know, getting uh, getting the word out about the podcast and sharing this uh, with as many people as would want to listen to it, <laughs> I guess. All right. And with that note, thank you again, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Have a great weekend. I hope there is some golf in your near future. And until next time, mahalo. Mahalo.